I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. You ready for the big solo? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. The answer is yes. That's why I proposed and and the House, Nancy, put it in the plan to immediately provide $10,000 in debt relief as stimulus right now. Right now for students. A minimum of $10,000 relief. Now, do you remember when that campaign promise was made? I mean, it was all the way back in the year 2020, before the fraudulent November election in November of 2020, that placed a demented Joe Biden in the White House. He made the promise, I'm going to provide immediate debt relief for literally hundreds of billions of dollars of student loan debt. Well, guess what? There's a lot that's happened in the last three years or so. And part of that was the Supreme Court telling Joe Biden, you don't have the authority to simply forgive student debt. He had originally promised or proposed to relieve about $400 billion, four-tenths of a trillion dollars in student loan debt. Now, I think that's problematic anyway, but he was told by the Supreme Court, you don't have the authority. So what has he done? Does Joe Biden follow the rules? Does Joe Biden care about what the law says? Of course not. So just today, he's announcing another $1.2 billion of student, don't, uh, lo- student debt relief for about 153,000 borrowers. These are young men and women, probably some pronouns in there, too, who've decided, I got college, I borrowed the money. I don't want to pay it back. And, of course, Joe Biden gets something out of this, too. He gets to spend your taxpayer money that comes from the 70% of the population who've never gone to college, who never got even a shot at a college degree. They certainly didn't borrow a big pile of money and then go off to college and then say, oh, uh, gee, I got a degree in something stupid that isn't worth anything in the private sector in terms of a job. I don't really want to pay the money back. Joe Biden gets to, and he has literally done this, he sent out emails to all the people who are getting your money to pay off their debts for their bad decisions in going to college, 
And he sends an email that says, I hope this relief gives you a little more breathing room. Except that, you know what else Joe Biden gets out of it? He gets to put a bunch of money in people's pockets right before an election. Now imagine the value of that. And guess what? You're paying the bill. Even if you never went to college, you're paying the bill. In any case, I want to tell you more about what's going on with this. It's actually our poll on X as well. The question we put up every day on what used to be called Twitter is now called X. And the question is, Joe Biden keeps canceling out student loan debt. Is this legitimate or is it an election year stunt? Glad to have you with me. Glad to take your phone calls and your emails. If you want to join this conversation, it's easy to do. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer and you disagree with me, we put naysayers to the head of the line. We have for more than a quarter century. We're going to do it as long as I'm standing behind this mic at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote on our poll on X, you'll find it at Lars Larson Show. Joe Biden keeps canceling student debt. Is this a legitimate thing? for a president to do or is it an election year stunt you can find the poll on x and then if you want to vote or call the show it's easy to do but let me tell you why this is so very very wrong i'm not saying it's not popular there are a lot of americans who decided i've got to go to college now to some extent they were led astray and they were led astray by some of the worst things that politicians do because I've heard politicians at every single level of government, city council, state legislature, the presidency, the House, the Senate, they all come out and say why everybody should go to college. And I've told you why that's hogwash. If you talk to economists, and I do from time to time, and you ask them, in a technological society like America, what percentage of jobs actually need to be filled with somebody who has a college degree? And the answer is somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of those jobs would actually benefit from somebody who has a college degree. The other 70 to 75 percent of the jobs, you don't need a college degree. It might actually work to your detriment when you're looking for a job. You may see, need some technical instruction. Maybe you need a certificate you get from a community college in a specific skill like accounting or bookkeeping or welding or whatever it happens to be. But if you're not going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, uh, a full-fledged certified public accountant, you probably don't need that college degree. It's a waste of four years, and in this case, it's a waste of other people's money. But Joe Biden knows that in an election year, he loves the idea of giving away money. He made the campaign promise four years ago, and now he's being held to that promise, except he's found out, I don't have the legal authority to do it. So, in Joe Biden's case, he says, I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. In total, Joe Biden has already unilaterally canceled. That is, he's canceled debt totaling $138 billion, and now this adds $1.2 billion more. He's done it without the Congress. He's done it with the opposition of the U.S. Supreme Court. He's done it against all common sense and sensibility because he's telling Americans... 70% of you never sat in a college classroom. You never got a shot at a college degree. But there are a bunch of young people who had that opportunity, and they blew it. They went out, and they got a degree. 
You know, the young lady who went out and got the degree in gender studies or transnationalism or trans transgender nonsense. You get that kind of degree and you go out and you try to find a job. Do you know what my general rule is for somebody who gets a degree that ends in the word studies? Like women's studies, ethnic studies, transgender studies, all the degrees that end in studies. Do you know what your primary occupation is likely to end up being? You're going to be asking, would you like a straw or a stopper in your latte? That's what's going to happen. You might as well have not gone to college. It may have been fun to go to all those tailgater parties, to have uh, late-night sessions in the dorm talking about important stuff for four years. You basically wasted your money. And you know how I know you wasted your money? Anytime you buy something and then you regret having spent the money or incurred the debt, and then you say, is there any way I can get somebody else to pay this debt for me? Now, as I pointed out to you, I may have a dog in the fight. I don't have a college degree. I have a year and a half of college, and you know what? I paid for it. And when I decided to take college courses over the last 30 or 40 years, I paid for them myself. I did. I certainly did not go to my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. I didn't go to anybody else and say, hey, by the way, I'd like to take some college classes. How about you pay for it? In fact, you know what I wish the people who say I don't want to pay my college debt would do? I wish they'd go to whatever job they have today and then ask their coworkers, hey, I went and got this college degree. It doesn't seem to be worth anything in the marketplace. I can't sell my skills for anything. Would you guys mind taking up a collection, maybe a GoFundMe? Would you pay off my college debt? And when, when you tell that to people, and I may end up telling it to a naysayer or two today, they'll say, well, I can't just go to my friends and neighbors and coworkers and ask them to pay my debt. Well, if you can't do it to your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, then how in the world are you telling your fellow American citizens, the people you don't even know, that they should pay off your bad debt? But Joe Biden is stealing the taxpayers' money, and he's giving it away because it's an election year. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. If you're I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Just listen for five minutes. You'll feel better. More with Lars Larson right now. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. Your body well right. You know you got a right to say. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Multnomah County government, believe it or not, seems bound and determined to make emergency medical responses slower in Multnomah County. I know it sounds crazy, but that's Multnomah County. They picked a fight with AMR, which is literally the biggest private ambulance company in America. The county demands two paramedics on every rig, and they say why the contract we signed with AMR some time ago guaranteed two paramedics on every rig. The problem is AMR says it can't hire enough staff. There aren't enough people available to meet that demand. And they now say one paramedic and one EMT on every ambulance can do the job. And I believe based on the research I did this morning, looking up studies on the subject, they're absolutely right at AMR. So the county says, but the contract guarantees two paramedics, even if you can't do it. So they've threatened literally millions of dollars in fines against AMR. I'm not overstating it. They say the number of fines already in the upper 1.5 to 2 million. I don't know if the real agenda is to push out AMR and then replace them with county fire ambulances, but I would point this out. Santa Cruz, California did exactly that last September, and I think Multnomah County may be following that path. I point out that when paramedics are in short supply, they are short for both public and private agencies. The fact that AMR can't find paramedics to do the job does not mean that Multnomah County somehow has a secret magic wand they can wave and find AMR or find paramedics. Published studies of emergency responders that I checked just this morning found no statistical difference between one kind of crew, that is two paramedics, versus a paramedic and an EMT. And in fact, if you think about it for a moment, on the way to any kind of emergency, one of those two people is driving a vehicle, not a complicated skill, not a skill driving a vehicle where being a paramedic gives you any greater skill at driving a vehicle. And once the patient has been stabilized and you're about to take him off or her off to a hospital where you've got doctors and nurses and a lot more resources than an ambulance can carry, the skill employed by the person behind the wheel of that ambulance as a paramedic is not going to add anything to the situation. You still need the paramedic in the back of the ambulance taking care of the patient on the way to the hospital. I'm not disputing that. But speak is spreading available paramedics, one to a rig and one EMT, means you can deploy more ambulances. More rigs means faster response. And I would think that's what most of us want. Would you rather have two paramedics in 20 minutes or a paramedic and an EMT in 10 minutes? I think the answer is very simple, unless you're the simple-minded people on the Multnomah County Commission. And I find this especially ironic. When the government runs short of staff, as it has at almost every level in the Pacific Northwest, they've run short at 911, they've run short at the cop shop, they've run short at a whole bunch of agencies. Do you know what the government says to citizens? They say, you get to pay the same amount of taxes, but you're not going to get the same services because we're short of staff. So suck it up, citizens. When the government does it, it's okay. When the private sector suffers the same consequence, the government says we're going to find the bejesus out of you. Now, Multnomah County seems intent on replacing private with more government. So don't say I didn't warn you. And uh, t now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? 
Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. Well, actually, I've got two daily grills today, and both of them are exclusives that I was alerted to by my friend Ari Hoffman, who holds down the afternoon slot on our Seattle affiliate KVI. First, number one, they uh, had an, a blockage of I-5 that was a protest in favor of the Hamas terrorists, you know, that kind of thing. So they blockaded I-5. That is a criminal act. Well, the fifth pro-Hamas activist who the state patrol has now referred charges to the King County prosecutor has been revealed as a Seattle public schools teacher. And I'd merely ask you, I understand that people can do what they want in their own private time. Is it appropriate to take a teacher whose job is for to, to educate students and also for students to look up to, if that teacher is involved in very public and very illegal activity in favor of terrorists. Do you want that teacher teaching in the Seattle public schools? My answer would be no. He also says National Palestinian Radio, NPR, the deputy mayor of Bothell, uh, who spoke at a pro-Hamas rally in Olympia, which called for a ceasefire, but not returning the 134 remaining hostages or the surrender of the Hamas terrorists. Guess what? He is also the chief digital officer for KUOW Public Radio, as well as being deputy mayor of Bothell. I'd ask you if you want that person in that spot, too. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Mark wrote in, Lars, the news this morning, as well as your commentary, pointed out the shortage of paramedics. couple of things that were not brought up. What percentage of calls require advanced life support from two paramedics? And two, the learning value the EMT basic, that's the step below paramedic, receives from working with a paramedic in the field. Just saying. Have a great day. Signed, Mark. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. Glad to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network on this Wednesday. Let's start as we always do if we have one with an naysayer. Gordon, you and I must disagree about something. What is it? I highly disagree about the four-year uh, university comments that all the conservative talk show guys seem to have the same attitude about it. And, the, and back to, you know... No, but what do we disagree about? about? What 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 did I say that you think is wrong? It's wrong to not sell a four year degree. And the liberalism. What you said was that the uh, the. What I said was just so you don't get it wrong. I said if you got a degree and then found out when you went out to the job market that you couldn't get paid anything more than you would have as a high school diploma holder then you just bought a degree for some amount of money, usually a large amount of money, that you can't, you don't want to pay the money back because it didn't get you a better paycheck, correct? <laughs> no. Yeah, if that's what you want, money in the end. But I Well, no, what I'm saying is if you decide to get a degree just for the fun of it, like you want to get an archaeology degree because you think archaeology is interesting, then pay for it yourself. If you say to the system, I'd like to borrow $100,000 to get a degree, and I promise I'll pay the money back with my greater skills when I exit college, and then you exit college and find out nobody wants a degree in women's studies, nobody wants a degree in transgender studies, and you can't really sell your skills for anything that it doesn't enhance your employability, and you're not going to make any more money. Most of the people who get a nursing degree who walk right out into 60 or $70,000 a year have no problem paying them off. Okay. 
on the studies part, you got it right. On the rest of it, the people they've studied income levels from 10 years out, and sure you don't expect to get a job out of college with a four-year degree. The 20 years of data has never shown that. But 15 years down the line, I mean, you'd be Lars Larson, like, owning Fox News. because Yeah, I don't want to own Fox News. They're too liberal for me. But, Gordon, you're an okay naysayer. Thank you very much. It's Wednesday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. have to bringing the political heat he's lars larson welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and we'll get back to phone calls including a couple of naysayers here in just a moment but i want to talk to our friend and the man who is the uh, pulitzer prize winning reporter at willamette week you can find his stories at wweek.com his name is nigel jacquez and he's going to tell me i believe that apparently Lamoda, the weed merchants, were not the only ones who figured out that cold, hard cash might actually clear the way for projects at the Oregon legislature. Nigel, welcome back. Uh, thanks, Lars. Yeah, so the story I wrote today is about a kind of a big difference of opinion between environmental groups and solar developers, and one solar developer from Bend, in particular, New Sun Energy, which... Uh, build solar industrial scale solar plants in Oregon and um, they've been very frustrated with the pace at which the legislature will essentially allow projects to happen they would like the legislature to uh, pass a law that would say that uh, that Oregon would no longer have any oversight over whether projects get built on federal lands just let the feds deal with that and what, what's unusual about it is this company's got a political action committee, and that political action committee gave key legislators, uh, mostly Democrats, but also some Republicans, about $100,000 the week before session started. You and I have talked about this before. Legislators don't take contributions during session because they don't want it to look like, you know, pay to play, that you give me a contribution, I'll make your bill go forward. Uh, this bill is going forward, and it's going forward in a committee where pretty much everybody on the committee got a big contribution. Uh, the leadership uh, of the House uh, got big contributions, and it's just the timing uh, and the fact that it's related to one bill that is pushed by one company that's pretty unusual. And, in fact, is it fair to say this political action committee, and they're allowed in Oregon under the uh, under the Supreme Court decisions of Oregon to basically raise as much money as they want, almost an infinite amount of money. But this hundred thousand dollars that was put into the Clean Energy for Oregon Pact pretty much came from one company and one individual. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's, uh, it is one company. Uh, that's the Ben Company that I mentioned a moment ago, uh, run by a guy named Jake Stevens. And look, I, you know, I think. There's a good argument here. It's a really interesting argument. On one hand, the legislature has passed these laws that said we're going to, you know, we're going to decarbonize, we're going to stop using fossil fuels, and they've put some pretty aggressive targets in place. So how do you meet them? Well, you got to build a bunch of wind and solar 
And his argument, Jake Stevens' argument is, yeah, but you won't let us build the wind and solar that you've ordered us to build. And, you know, the environmental groups and the hunters and the, and the uh, people who represent fishing interests all say, well, you know, don't, that's our, that, that's our greatest natural resource, the open land, the, the, the natural beauty of Oregon. We want to go slowly when we're putting industrial scale uh, power generation, whether it's clean or, or not clean, in place. So it, it's a fascinating argument to me. Well, and in fact, the second piece of this is what Oregon has, and I don't even know the legal end of if you've got federal land, how does the state have anything to say about whether or not certain criteria are met, environmental impact studies, things like that. But it sounds like what this company wants to do, and I understand they're, they're, they're responding to what the state of Oregon, the, all the greenies have said, we want to replace all these other forms of energy with wind and solar. So go build it. And then he's saying, yeah, well, I want to build on federal land, and you're going to make me th go through all these hoops, jump through all these hoops, yeah. meet all these requirements of both the state and the federal government. You know, I understand regulations are inconvenient. There are a lot of them that I would get rid of, too. But, frankly, we could have more housing if we got rid of, you know, a bunch of state requirements and local requirements. We could have more of almost everything if we got rid of those. So I'm not saying I'm not in favor of trimming down regulation, but he's asking them to trim down one particular set of regulations, basically wipe yeah. them out of the way for his company to build these solar plants. And I think, hey, if you want to live by those regs, then they apply to everybody. And if you don't want to apply them to Jake Stevens at New Sun, then, then don't apply them to everybody else who wants to build projects as well. It's got to be that way. Otherwise, you get situations like this where somebody says, who do I have to pay off to get these regulations out of my way? It begins to sound like the Middle East or China where nobody gets anything done with a little, without a little bakshish, a little bit of, uh, you know, bribery basically and paying it a week before the legislature and saying, we didn't bribe the committee on this bill. We paid them a week before the committee started meeting. So it couldn't possibly have any effect on the attitude of the members of the committee. Now, could it? Well, I, I want to make sure that I'm clear that this is legal in Oregon. We're one of only five states where you can give an unlimited campaign contribution to anybody for any reason at any time. It's legal and it's disclosed, as, as our mutual friend Dan Meek would often say, it doesn't mean it's right. But it is legal and it is disclosed. It just, it gives a very, uh, I think it makes people very uncomfortable to see, you know, that money coming in right before a bill moves and that bill is moving. Um, you know, the answer, the answer in a lot of people's minds is we should have some limits. We should have some limits so it doesn't look like the Middle East and the bakshish as you, as you just mentioned. Yeah, because, and, and I understand the desire to build all this stuff, although I think it raises a lot of other questions as well. For example, you know, when he builds all these solar panels, I know California's got a problem now because they don't have enough wires to carry the energy their windmills are producing right now to the point where they say, well, we got a lot of wind energy, but it's out there and the cities are over here and we don't have the connection. And I know who's going to pay for the connection costs. It's going to be ratepayers. So it, it's got we consequences all over the place place beyond hunting, fishing, outdoors, you know, spotted newts getting made extinct by solar panels or whatever it happens to be. It's got other implications that are going to come home to everybody in the region, doesn't it? Well, the, the big test case that everybody points to, Lars, is it took Idaho Power 15 years to get a 
transmission line from Boardman to Hemingway down in southeastern Oregon. They, they applied for a permit in 2008. They didn't get it till 2023. So, yeah, Jake Stevens would say the same thing about transmission. Let us build it. You've told us you need green power. Let us build the green power and let us build some transmission because, you know, it's a long way from the high desert uh, to Portland or Salem or Eugene where the people are, where the power is going to be generated and where the people are, not the same place. The only way you get it is to build new wires, but it takes 15 years to put a new wire in place. So, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a conundrum. Yeah, so you're going to see all these other companies in the region that are held back by what I think are fairly ridiculous levels of regulation. But then when you're doing something that the political elites in Salem or Olympia like, they're going to say, oh, just clear all those regulations out of the way. We don't need them. They're, this guy, Jake Stevens, he's doing God's work. He's connecting us to solar. And you're going to find certain classes that will get relief from regulations and other classes of people, even the ones who don't, you know, lay down a hundred thousand cash for the committee. Uh, we're going to be finding out mine. Mine isn't popular, so they're not going to do anything for me. But they will do something for somebody who's doing something they like, solar, and putting money in their pockets, as in Jake Stevens. Yep, it's a uh, it's an interesting time in Salem. Yeah, and in fact, you know, if they're going to do it for this, they should do it for housing. And frankly, Nigel, if they say, well, all these regulations get in the way, why don't they clear all the regulations out that cost $200 million to design, and build, to design a new Columbia River bridge back in the day, and they ended up with a 10-foot stack of paper? You say, if, if regulations aren't important when it comes to solar, how about getting rid of the regulations that get in the way of building a bridge? I want people to read uh, Nigel Jacob's story. He's always very careful, and he's very knowledgeable. Nigel, thanks for the time today. Thanks, Lars. It is a pleasure to have you on. That's Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for Willamette Week, Nigel Jaquist. I'm going to get to your calls in a moment, and I have the treat today of getting abundance, an abundance of naysayers today. It's Wednesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. 866-439-5277. Check me out on Instagram, and you can always send me an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. He has.
their small town politics with big town opinions. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you live on the Radio Northwest Network that serves the Pacific Northwest and has for the last 24 years with honestly provocative talk on a daily basis. Today's poll on X, what used to be called Twitter, Joe Biden keeps canceling out student debt. Today, he did another $1.2 billion with the taxpayers' money. Is this legitimate or is it an election year stunt? I would say election year stunt. Today's poll on X is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, yesterday, I asked you about this. The state of Michigan has asked its residents to house for a minimum of 90 days illegal aliens and refugees. They're not forcing them. They're asking for now. Now, I suspect they may come to the force later on. Would you take in a family of illegal aliens for a minimum of 90 days? Uh, I answered no to that. So did 97% of you. Only 3% of you said yes. Now, Craig is a naysayer. So we love naysayers, Craig, as you know. What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Yesterday, you talked a lot about uh, putting child abusers in life for prison. No, what I talked about, Idaho... Idaho's Senate has passed a bill, and I hope they pass it through the House and have the governor sign it, that says that uh, one available penalty for uh, pedophiles who are convicted of sexual crimes against children under the age of 12, that the death penalty is one of the penalties available to the jury. It's not mandatory, but it's available to the jury. That's what I talked about. Okay. Okay, well, you know what happens when you're waiting for the death penalty? You get a room to yourself, all these free moves, uh, free meals, and all the medical attention you need. Everybody in prison and gets three hots and a cot. In the, in the exercise yard. But everybody in prison gets three hots and a cot. And people on death row in most states, Craig, Oregon no longer does it. it they should, but they don't. Uh, Washington no longer does it. But uh, if you're on death row, you're locked up for 23 hours out of every 24-hour day. And you get limited access to a yard. Uh, it's a tiny little area where you're allowed to get out and get some sunlight, but it's not with the general population. And then you're back in your hole for the next 23 hours. So what 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 okay. do you think? This well, is a gift to pedos? Well, to them it's a gift. To the parents of the child that was molested, it's a prison. Why not put them in prison for life, of course, but put them in the general population? And you know the why they won't, because if, if, they, if they come under attack from other inmates, they'll be put in ad seg. And administrative segregation ends up being effectively the same thing as being on death row. Limited access to the outside, limited contact with other people. But it's an interesting point. Let's go to Jeff. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. You heard that question about Joe Biden canceling student debt. I take it you have an opinion on that. That's a total scam. So, uh, Lars, I was telling your screener, you know, they, they run a radio commercial that says that the average student in Oregon borrows $32,000 to get their bachelor's degree. Yep. Uh, so I'm looking at the payments right right now. It's about $350 a month for your loan yep. payment. And I yep. live in Bend, Oregon, and I'll tell you right now, the average college graduate in the city of Bend, Oregon, spends double that on their car payment and probably 
at least one and a half times the college loan payment on their on their uh, fuzzy IPAs that they drink every single day after work. Yep. So, uh, I agree with this you. This is just a prioritization, and that's all it is. And these kids, they all have brand-new cars. They all have season passes on the mountain. They all wait tables for a living, uh, and they all fail to pay their student loans. or would. It, it's just ridiculous. If your student loan isn't worth $335 a month to pay back, then your education isn't worth anything. You can't even pay that. You you don't have an education that's worth you, – you blew it, you know? I agree with you. I mean, I have a niece that I sat down. She was looking at college, and I think she went from – she was going to be a radiolo- – you know, not radiologist, but a, a, a ultrasound tech. And then I think she's since decided to be a nurse, uh, so she's going to take some more school. But we were working out her student loans, and uh, she's getting some money from mom and dad and some from aunt and uncle and all that. Uh, but it worked out to just about what you say. If you owe twenty grand, it's going to be about $200 a month. Well, if you got any kind of degree that enhances the kind of paycheck you would have made as a high school graduate to much above that, the, an extra couple of hundred bucks a month is not a big deal. And what you're buying is skills and talents. You know, if you say, I bought these skills, and I bought them for $200 a month payment for the next 10 years, but they're only worth 50 bucks a month for the next 10 years because I got the wrong kind of degree, well, I'd say it sucks to be you. You made a dumb decision. Yeah. And all of us have made dumb financial decisions, haven't we, Jeff? A hundred percent, and you just pay for them, and that's that's how you learn your lessons in life. You know what I mean? Because the next mistake they make, are, are we going to start buying their new forerunners for them when they can't pay that back? I mean, where do you draw the line? And it, it, it's just uh, they don't teach any common sense in college, and that's the problem is, you know, uh, I just laugh when I walk around. I see these kids all dressed up in fancy clothes, drinking in bars every single night, and they're the ones getting a free education? Are you joking yep. me? But well, and the other thing is, Jeff, think about this. If most kids going to college said, you know, I could go to four years of a four-year education, but that's a lot more expensive. I'll do two years of junior college. I'm not going to drink lattes at college. I'm not going to have a brand-new iBook. I'm not going to sit in Starbucks for four hours every day talking to my friends. I'm going to get down there, get my credits in, get my degree, get my two years out of community college, and then finish up at a state school instead of a private school. And right there, you could cut the debt in half. But they're being offered With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it? to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lost. <laughs> Is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize. 
Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. You know... We've got a fentanyl problem in the Pacific Northwest that makes the fentanyl problem of the rest of America pale by comparison. In fact, I've had a few people try to tell me, well, Lars, measure 110. It didn't actually do what you're saying because the rest of America has a fentanyl problem. You want some numbers to put that to rest altogether? Number one, in about the last four years, America has seen the fentanyl problem double. That is, it's gone up by 100%. How much have fentanyl overdose deaths gone up in Oregon in the same time period? 15 times as much. They've gone up 1,500%. Now, if you tell me Measure 110 is not an outlier in America, we're just seeing the same kind of fentanyl problem in the Northwest that we've seen in every other place in America. Really? Well, then why is it that we saw only about a 100% increase in fentanyl overdose deaths nationwide, and at the same time, in Oregon, a 1,500% increase? I'd suggest Measure 110 is very clearly the cause of this. And on that note, it's a pleasure to welcome back Representative Cord Boyce uh, from the South Oregon coast. Uh, he's a Republican representing Oregon's District Number 1. Cord, it's good to have you back. Lars, thank you very much for having me on. Keep up the good work. You just said it very well there. Measure 110 has been a complete and total failure. We're number one in the country out of 50. What a total embarrassment. Uh, the wrong people have been in charge here for years and years, as you know. And they just, you know, I don't want to be too brash. They just keep doubling down on stupid. And so we have got some serious work here to clean this up. And we have some good solutions. Uh, we just don't quite have the numbers to get it through. We're gaining. Okay, but here's the thing I'm anticipating. The court, feel free to tell me I'm wrong. That the Oregon legislature, which is acting about as stupidly as the Washington legislature does on a regular basis, they're going to say, we're going to tinker around the edges of Measure 110. We're going to take it from a traffic ticket you get, or effectively a traffic ticket you get right now that you don't even have to pay, and we're going to move it to a C misdemeanor, which is is just one step above and not nearly enough to get people into treatment. Is that what we're likely going to see actually come out of the legislature? Because that ain't going to change anything. Well, I'm afraid you're right, and I'm hoping and praying you're wrong, because we've been holding fast on a Class A misdemeanor to get these people in treatment, and the amount of money that's been wasted, the amount of time, uh, lives lost. You know, you had an op-ed out not too long ago that said, you know, we see people dying in the streets in Portland, and we, we're just not shocked anymore. So Oregon is, uh, again, unfortunately leading the way. We just, uh, we, we think we have the solutions and that's recriminalizing drugs. One of the biggest issues I have, Lars, is that there's nothing to go after the drug pushers. I mean, some really bad people are coming into our state and we're not stopping them and we're not supporting law enforcement. I mean, these are, these are men and women that, that are still trying to recover from the last three years, hurting our recruiting. You know all this. Uh, that's the direction we got to go though. We got, we got to flip that philosophy and that political. Well, uh, you understand, Court, I think the cops, the sheriffs and the police departments could go after drug criminals, but they're not. 
because they're being told not to. I mean, some of it is their numbers, and I'm not saying that's not part of the problem. But have you noticed that lately you'll hear about massive seizures of drugs in both Oregon and Washington, but almost every one of those big deal busts where they bust, uh, the other day they busted somebody with one and a half, I think it was one and a half tons of liquid heroin that was coming through uh, the state of Oregon. It was in, the, in liquid form in the back of a rented truck. And it was one and a half tons of this drug. Now, that's another opiate. Fentanyl has better num has bigger and badder numbers than heroin, but it's still a problem. Who makes the bust? The feds. So how is it that all these law enforcement agencies have all these people, and yet the feds are the only ones who actually make cases, or, or they make most of the big cases? No, we're not supporting our district attorneys. You know, in my three counties, I've got incredibly, I want to say, except exceptional uh, district attorneys and staffs, but they're shorthanded. Uh, they, they're they trying not to give up. Most of them are getting close to those three, most of them uh, getting uh, close to retirement. And, you know, we're sending the wrong message. And to your point, law enforcement arrest, and you know what happens. Uh, and Oregon is leading in that category as well. So it's got to come back to recriminalizing drugs and uh, putting people in prison. You know, when you when you bring that into communities, and I would say it, the welcome mat is out around the United States. Come to Oregon and uh, do your well, deeds. I, I've got a suggestion for you, Court. You, you've got, you still operate the Paradise Lodge, don't you? Or members of your family do? Well, no, but no, uh, you don't. You okay, out there. But, no, no, let's not <laughs> go know. there. But you, you have had employees before of your private sector enterprises, right? Of course. If you have an employee who's not doing his job, do you fire him? Immediately. Especially okay, now hold on. All those DAs, we call them county DAs. Do you know who cuts the check to pay their salary? State of Oregon. Yes, sir. So when the state of Oregon sees that DAs are not doing their job, and I use Mike Schmidt's show as a great example of this, who uses every excuse in the book not to prosecute people, his employer is the state of Oregon. Now, is the state going to call these people on the carpet? Are committees of the legislature going to call Mike Schmidt and say, get down here and you tell us what's going on? And when he gives you that cockamamie excuse about not enough uh, criminal defense indigent lawyers, you say, hold on, Oregon awards a lot of uh, taxpayer-funded attorneys for things the U.S. Constitution does not require and most other states do not provide attorneys for these kinds of cases. Why don't we drop the provision of, of indigent defense attorneys for all those other lower-level cases that most of the other states don't do that are not required by the Constitution, and then you'll have plenty of criminal defense attorneys, and you can start bringing charges. And if you won't do it, uh, I don't know if there's a process for the state legislature. I know counties have done this before. But to say to the DA, if you ain't doing your job, forget about the part of your paycheck you get from Salem. You're going to have to get by on what Multnomah County gives you. How about that for an idea? Yeah, but please draw a line between the the super urban uh, people like Smith that you mentioned, attorneys, compared to the rural that are trying to keep clean. I agree. So you make a very good point there. We spend a fortune, and we constantly hear here, we have more public defenders paid for by the taxpayers, as you well know, Lars, 
as opposed to the number of district attorneys and their staffs. And, you know, people are coming out of college and they, you know, in, in the legal field, they're not wanting to be crime fighters. We got to change that, uh, that attitude and, and try and recruit those people because it is so important. And then, you know, you mentioned, uh, the progressives and the Democrats, of course, are not going to recriminalize drugs. They are not going to go after those people. They're going to keep harm reduction, which in my, in, in rural Oregon, people do not want that. They want people in treatment. They want people to get clean. And that's what has happened on this whole thing. As you well know, they were sold a bill of goods. And now we have a mess to clean up the three times, we're, four times, ten worse. Uh, I'm, I'm going to mention it again, Cord. We're being treated like guinea pigs. George Soros and his Drug Policy Alliance pumped in millions of dollars to pass ballot measure 110. It is a, it's a test tube experiment and Oregonians are the guinea pigs and George Soros is the guy pulling the strings. It's gotta stop. It's gotta end right now. And if the Democrats won't do it, they should suffer at the next election. Back in a moment. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Unwrapping the news so you don't have to. Back to the Lars Larson Show. Can you believe that somebody set up a GoFundMe for one of the people who was wounded and wounded badly in the Kansas City shooting last week? And it turns out he's the guy now accused of murder in that case. I'll get to the details on that in a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Now, I get a... I'm getting an abundance of naysayers, which, by the way, I absolutely love, because when somebody says, I disagree, you're completely wrong about this, Lars, I'm glad to put you on the show and let you make your best argument. Now, the death penalty has been measured, mentioned because I pointed out that Idaho had passed, uh, through part of its legislature, a bill that would say, if you are convicted of a sexual crime against a child below the age of 12, that you can be put to death. It doesn't mandate the death penalty but it allows the jury to use that if they choose to because of the heinous nature of a particular crime. Florida has already passed the death penalty uh, for rape, child rape, and I think that's perfectly appropriate as well. But apparently Dan is a naysayer who disagrees with me. So, Dan, welcome to the program, and what do we disagree about? Dan? 
No, I think Dan's phone is messed up. We'll see if we can get him on a clean line. Let's go to Greg instead. Hey, Greg, I also mentioned today that President Joe Biden has once again, and I think illegally, agreed to pay off $1.2 billion in student loans. I think that brings him close to $140 billion of the taxpayers' money that he spent to wipe out loans from college kids who don't want to pay their loans back. What do you and Naysayer about on that? Well, I disagree a little bit with uh, your. You seem to be putting a tremendous amount of blame on the kids. And to be fair, a lot of them are pretty naive, and they listen to their parents. You got to go to college. Got to go to college. They listen to their high school advisors saying, "Oh no, you just need to go, and it'll be fine. It'll work itself out." And then you go to your college advisors, and they, you know, tell you the same thing. Oh, you just need to get two years in and find out where you want to be. And then they push them in a lot of times into degrees that they imply will make a good living. And not all these kids are making, you know, buying brand new cars and 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 without spending all kinds of money. Some of them can't even afford to live anywhere because the housing is so expensive. But I think the focus, it's not really fair that if you go to a real estate agent or a lawyer or a doctor and you get bad advice, you have some recourse. But these kids can be lied to by these college advisors and pushed into stuff, and then all of a sudden, you know, and and they really don't know that much about what money is. And technically, at 18, they are responsible. But well, hold on. That's where I was going to go there. because, Greg, I know I, I, I get the idea. But tell me this, all of the people who made the decision to borrow tens and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars with no collateral whatsoever, just a signature loan, they were above the age of 18. Should we hold them responsible for the decisions they made? Well, you're above the age of 18 when you go to a real estate agent or a lawyer or anything else, too. I think the focus well, should be on. more on. You're using that as an example. If you go to a real estate agent, and I don't know what you're thinking of, if somebody says, hey, I think this would be a good house for you, and then you decide to buy it. If the real estate agent actually misrepresented it to you and lied to you, then that that you might recover in court. You might go in and say, this guy lied to me. Uh, but the court might also say, well, what are you saying you lied about? Well, you said it had four bedrooms and it only has two. You say, well, you're 18 years old. You walked through the house, didn't you? Yes. Did you see four bedrooms? No. Then, you know, then no harm, no foul. You're gone. So you're using weird examples. If an 18-year-old says, I would like to borrow a gigantic sum of money, and I have no collateral to back it up. If you buy a car, there's collateral. If you buy a house, there's collateral. But you walk in with no collateral at all and say, I want to get a degree in college, and I promise if you'll loan me $50,000, I'll pay it back. Why shouldn't we hold those people responsible for that decision they made as an adult? Well, you're you're holding them to a higher standard because everyone else can file bankruptcy and these kids can't. They're stuck with that loan forever. But my point is, and they knew they that. Did they know have, that when they took the loan out? Yes, to a certain okay. degree. Yeah, I agree with and, all that. And but so, I don't think we're responsible. But the these kids ought to have. First of all, they should start re video recording every college advisor and every high school advisor so that they can have some recourse. Hold on. They Greg, were did you to. take every dumb piece of advice you ever heard in your life? Because I know I didn't. I, I heard I had lots of people give me advice, and some of them were very smart people. Some of them were in my business, and they said, Lars, never do this or always do that. And there were times I'd listen, and I'd say, thanks for your input. And then I'd go off and make what I thought was the right decision, 
And then I took responsibility for my decisions. And did I make bad decisions from time to time? Sure I did. But, but I also made good decisions that were counter to the advice I was given. How long do you want to treat these adults as children? Just tell me. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that we should pay their loans. I think that that's their responsibility, but I do think that we should. Well, then I'm not sure what you're saying, Greg. If you're saying, well, gee because... whiz, these poor kids, they're adults. If you're not suggesting we pay their loans, what are you suggesting? For I'm, goodness not, sake? I, I'm not suggesting that they don't pay their loans. I'm suggesting that we solve the problem. Well, one of the problems they solve with buying a house is you have to have enough money down to prove that you're responsible enough to even um, actually you don't actually you don't well you used to have to when i well hold on if you go and get a first-time home buyer fha loan the amount of down is as low as three percent so if you if you go buy a five hundred thousand dollar house and you put down 15 grand and then the market takes a dump and all of a sudden your $500,000 house is worth 400000 and you own $15,000 equity in a house in which you have, you are upside down, your incentive to walk away is tremendous. So, so that idea is, is fraudulent, but it's still your problem. You still have to yeah, deal with is. that problem. So, and it's still the problem of the kids, but I do think that they should be someone, you know, they, they should have to have, um, a, a little what? bit better counselors and and uh, advisors to push them into degrees. How about we get? How about I got an idea for you, Greg? Did your best counsel come from any government employee, or did it come from mom and dad? Exactly. Okay, but then why why do we have these counselors at all? Why are we paying gigantic sums? I I would imagine that nationwide we pay billions, if not tens of billions of dollars for counselors who give out, you know, just whatever advice they think. And they think, well, I have a college degree. You should get a college degree, you know, which is not uncommon for people to say, whatever it is I have, you ought to get one of those too. But if the kid at 18 can't sit down and think for himself and say, is this college degree going to be worthwhile? Is it going to, am I going to be able to go find a job? And, you know, most kids who are going to a four-year school, even if they did this at 18 and they're going into school planning to graduate in four years, they can look at the job market right now and say, does there appear to be a growing market for people with a, you know, with a gender studies degree or an ethnic studies degree? And if the answer is no or the answer is the job pays about as much as uh, Starbucks or McDonald's, then you don't go pay 50 or 100 grand to get a degree to get a job like that. Oh, by the way, I do want to mention Lindell Mays. He's the guy who's now accused in the murder of a woman in Kansas City last week in the shooting that happened at the Super Bowl parade and rally. And they put up a GoFundMe for this guy. I think they've taken it down now. But his family wanted to make money, and he's the guy who's now accused of murder, believe it or not. The Lars Larson Show. You can 
literally have Lars with you all day, every day. Podcasts at Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and live right now. What a time to be alive. Here's Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'm sure that for a lot of you, when you heard last Friday about the massive $355 million fine that had been thrown down on Donald Trump, your reaction to it probably depended on your politics. If you like Donald Trump, you'd say this is outrageous, and I agree. I think it's outrageous, too. To the people who hate Trump, they, they didn't care whether the fine was justified or not, whether it was a stratospheric fine in a crime, so-called, without any victims whatsoever. And, in fact, with the people who were supposedly defrauded saying, we'd loan him money again tomorrow if we could. We love him as a customer. You know, th this is just ridiculous, but it has implications in a lot of different ways. So I thought we'd talk about it with Zach Smith, who's a legal fellow with the Heritage Foundation, co-author with our buddy Cully Stimson of the book called Rogue Prosecutors, How Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities. Zach, welcome back. Well, thanks for having me on, Mars. Always just remember, with you. Just remember, I'm not a lawyer, so feel free to knock me back if I get into But is this truly a gigantic fine, one-third of a billion dollars, for a crime in which there was no victim? Well, you're better off for not being a lawyer, Mars, because that means you're able to see things through a common-sense lens uh, more often than lawyers are. Uh, but, look, you're absolutely right. This is an absolutely astronomical fine. It's unprecedented in a lot of ways. And keep in mind that New York Attorney General Letitia James, she campaigned on a promise to go after Donald Trump and the Trump Organization to pursue this type of case. And when this case initially started, she was asking the court to impose a $370 million fine uh, against Donald Trump and his companies. It was a, an unprecedented amount. And she got pretty close with this judgment uh, that the uh, Democratic judge there in the city of New York uh, yeah, put forward against Trump and his companies. And, Zach, I've been telling my audience, although, again, I don't expect them to believe me, but... I've been telling them this is a political prosecution, like like you might find in, you know, the former Soviet Union or maybe even in Russia today or certainly other countries. And they say, well, you can't prove that. Let me offer you proof and you tell me if it's valid. Right after this happened, I think a lot of other people, there were a number of big investors who said, I'm not putting another dime in New York State. That place is a dangerous environment because you don't even have to break the law to end up with effectively the corporate death penalty for your companies. So Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, Democrat, came out quickly and said, oh, to all the other businesses in New York, we're not going to do this to anybody else. We're only doing it to Trump or words to that effect. So she effectively admitted we're doing this to Donald Trump for political reasons. We're not going to do this to every other company in, in New York, uh, in New York State, that has exaggerated the value of its company or its buildings, which, Zach, maybe I'm being unkind, but I think that that statement probably applies to just about every company in, in, uh, in the state of New York. If you said, have any of you guys ever exaggerated the value of a building when you were taking out a loan? Oh, no, no, of course not. We would never do anything like that. I, I would imagine there's, there's a whole state full of guilty parties there, except that if nobody gets hurt, who cares? Well, I certainly think it's fair to say there's likely a, a lot of puffery uh, involved in these types of transactions. Uh, but look, you're exactly right. Donald Trump valued his buildings at a certain dollar value. He asked uh, banks, very sophisticated, very large banks, used to dealing in high dollar, risky transactions, 
to loan him money against those assets. I think it's ridiculous to think that those banks wouldn't have done their own due diligence because the value of the assets, the collateral against the loans, that's ultimately going to determine whether or not they get their money back if the loans went bad. But the loans didn't get, go bad. Uh, the banks were repaid in full, and they continue to do business with Donald Trump and his companies, as you mentioned. Now, in terms of, you know, the the attorney general pursuing only Donald Trump, you know, making this a one-off type of case, that should be very troubling to anyone. You know, this may be what the attorney general and the governor are saying today, but that can change on a dime. And I think the way this particular New York law is written is very problematic in and of itself. The attorney general didn't have to prove an intent to defraud. The words of the statute are written very vaguely. And so, as you mentioned, we're in this bizarre position where Donald Trump is alleged to have committed, you know, exponential amounts of fraud, and yet the AG never had to prove that he intended to defraud anyone or that anyone was in fact defrauded. And so I suspect because of that and the record amount of the fine, you know, Donald Trump has indicated he is going to appeal this judgment, uh, but I think all of us should be very troubled uh, by this case and by the results. Let okay. me ask you about one other aspect of this that people may or may not be aware of. To be able to appeal, he's already said he's going to put up the money, but he has to come up with not just the 355. He's got to come up with, as I understand, with the judge, this very political judge laid down was, I need 120% of the fine you owe if you want to appeal it. So was that the judge deliberately trying to make it difficult to appeal his decision, which sounds like a violation of due process to me? Well, look, Lars, I think this, just given the record amount of this fine, $355 million, to put up that amount of cash, either directly or an appeal bond, it's a staggering sum of money. I think the additional amount was supposed to be to cover any interest that accrues on the, on the uh, amount due to the state uh, while an appeal is pending. But keep in mind, I think we have a long way to go before this case is ultimately resolved. It has to work its way up through the New York state court system. If it makes it all the way up to New York's highest court, the Court of Appeals, the equivalent of that state Supreme Court, each member of that court was appointed by a Democratic governor, either Kathy Hochul or her predecessor, Andrew Cuomo. And so we likely have a lot of runway left to go in this case while the criminal uh, case against Donald Trump being brought by the rogue prosecutor, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, is set to kick off at the end of March. There's still the ongoing cases in Fulton County, as well as the federal cases uh, brought by Jack Smith in Washington, D.C. and Florida. And so, unfortunately, I think Donald Trump and many of his allies are going to be facing a lot of time in courtrooms uh, over the next several months. I'm talking to Zach Smith, who's at the Heritage Foundation as a legal fellow. He's also the co-author with Cully Stimson of Rogue Prosecutors, how radical Soros lawyers are destroying America's communities. And then this, this is maybe a less tangible issue, but on the same day that Donald Trump came out, his lawyer, uh, this young lady, Alina Haba, came out and announced, uh, we've got the money, we're going to put, the, we're going to post the bond, we're going to appeal, and we're going to win, which you'd expect her to say. Letitia James comes out and says, you know, if he doesn't pay that money by the end of the 30 days, I'm going to start seizing his buildings. I mean, this is so blatantly political to say, I'm going to come out and threaten the person who has a right to appeal if he meets the conditions. And and she's saying she's just champing at the bit to be able to go down and, and slap a big, I don't know what kind of legal notice it is, on the front of Trump Tower and say, we own this now because we're taking it from the evil Donald Trump. She's She's out of control in my book. 
Well, to say it's a bad look is really a, a gross understatement uh, of what's happening here. Look, if Donald Trump puts up the, the money either directly or through a bond and it fails the case, that stays in the enforcement proceedings. And the idea that Donald Trump wouldn't pay his fine, that his assets would have to be seized, is really you know far-fetched in many cases. What would have to happen uh, in order for Letitia James to be able to seize the property, generally speaking, Trump would have to refuse to pay, give an indication that he can't pay or that he's unwilling to pay, and only then could enforcement proceedings uh, be levied against any of his property in the state of New York. You know, I heard another commentator say it's almost like if a criminal defendant is convicted of a crime, is released pending appeal, like the prosecutor coming out saying, we're going to send the U.S. Marshals to, you know, go get that person, even though uh, everyone knows right where they're at and they're availing themselves of, of the legal process. It's, it's ridiculous, Lars. It, it really is crazy. Zach, congratulations on the book along with Cully, and we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for having me on. That is Zach Smith. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your phone calls and emails. It is Honestly Provocative Talk Radio at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go first at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. He's up before you are, weeding out the right from the wrong. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. You have to kind of love the irony of this. In the Pacific Northwest, it means everything if you're a green company. And who could be greener than Amazon? And yet now we find out that Amazon now ranks as one of the biggest single polluters in the entire Pacific Northwest. And if you wonder... How can you be a big polluter? I mean, the fact that you ship packages all over the world and you sell stuff and all that. But how does that pollute? Well, it turns out that Amazon, you know, they have these giant uh, farms, server farms, computer farms uh, that are mostly located in places like Umatilla County. And why would this giant worldwide corporation locate Umatilla County? Well, because they got to build these data centers and they got gigantic tax breaks from the state of Oregon to do that. Millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in local tax breaks to subsidize them, except server farms, as you might imagine, are data, are not just data hungry, they're also energy hungry. They consume a massive amount of electricity. 
So how do they make all that electricity? Some of it comes from the grid, but some of it comes from burning, what, diesel. And I've had so many callers and emailers uh, alert me to this. They say, yeah, there's a new data center going up, and they have these tractor-trailer-sized diesel generators because they can't suck enough power out of the grid. So they are out there uh, making power one of the dirtiest ways you can make it. And uh, and they're putting out 1.8 million tons of carbon emissions every single year. The Umatilla Electric Cooperative, brand new data that was released this week. That utility company, it's a public utility company, has 16,000 customers. You think, how in the world could 16,000 customers put out that much CO2 if that's what floats your boat? Frankly, I think CO2 is plant food. It's not a pollutant. And the answer is, if one of those 16,000 customers is Amazon, you can put out that much. No problem whatsoever. Let's go to Jerry, listening on the Radio Northwest Network and our affiliate KPNW. Jerry, what's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I was listening to your guest, and I think I heard the answer when he was speaking. I want to know where the money went, where this where this fine is going to go that Trump's going to have to pay. And it sounds like it's going to go to the state of New York, which the case was brought by the attorney general for the state of New York. So she had quite a bit of motivation there to go after Trump and uh, get all this money. It seems like a pretty clear conflict of interest to me. Oh, and it gets worse than that, because imagine this. In most states, if you are guilty of a crime and you pay fines, especially if they're large fines, uh, most uh, the money will, to some extent, it'll go to the state because that's who went after him. But it'll also go, uh, they'll shovel a certain amount of it, maybe most of it, into victims' compensation funds. And then you've got this giant slush fund that any Democrat politician worth his or her salt will be able to say, I know where to you know, put some of that money. We'll, we'll pay victims, which sounds warm and fuzzy, until you figure out you can also politically target where the money goes, and you can make a lot of difference. I mean, it's the same reason that Joe Biden is paying off and that's our our ex-poll today. Why he's paying off more billions of dollars of student loans? Because he can use it in an election year, and it's worth its weight in gold. Your gold, his spending, and giving it to people who don't want to pay their bills. Let's go to Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks so much for having me, Lars. Uh, long What's their first-time caller? Thank you. Uh, so in previous segments, you've discussed the Portland Public Schools uh, here in the Portland area, their budget shortfall. I, I believe it's, I don't want to misspeak here, it's uh, around $30 million, is that correct? No, it's, no, it's, it's a, see, it, what is it? They, they settled for $175 million with the union, and they are $130 million, which I think they'll be able to spread out over three or four years. So it may come down to about 30 or $40 million a year. But they are definitely short of money, but it's a shortfall created by themselves. It'd be like if you went to mom and dad and say, mom and dad, uh, I'm making less money than my monthly budget. And they say, well, we noticed you're driving a brand new four, four by four that's all tricked out. How, how much are you short? About $600. Well, how much is your truck payment? About $500. They know where the shortfall came from and you put it on yourself. Should mom and dad be sympathetic? No, absolutely not. And, and so I'm married to a teacher in a different Portland area school district. Um, and, and though I can't speak to any policy or procedure directly related to Portland Public Schools, I can at least kind of forecast how the district will most likely navigate their current uh, financial issue. And it's pretty alarming um, just kind of having that inside knowledge. With this giant shortfall that you just described, there's going to certainly result in what they call involuntary attrition, which Rips. is just yeah. basically pink slips for, for people. 
And due to the fact that, like, class size, from the way that I understand it and the limited knowledge I have of the CBA that was passed, it, it, class size was restricted in, in some aspects. So that means the first people that will get that involuntary attrition will be support staff, like educational assistants, yep. uh, unlicensed staff who, like, support mostly special education because usually per school or per area there's only one licensed special education uh, instructor and then most of those are unlicensed. So those would be the first to go. The other ones would be, you know, because seniority rules in a lot of CBAs, the newer teachers who are coming onto the scene, who are passionate about their jobs, who are, you know, really uh, impacting the kids and actually providing some, uh, you know, kind of some vigor uh, yep. to the in, 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 in Last hired, first fired, right? Exactly. And so you're going to retain these older um, you know, maybe less impactful teachers, and regardless of their impact, they're going to be the ones who are prioritized, and they're going to be the ones retained by the district, which... Unfortunately, and Jason, I'm up against the clock, but I think you're absolutely right. They will not make the decision is about who gets laid off based on what's good for the kids. They'll base it on union rules. Last hired, first fired, even if the firings make no sense whatsoever. The Lars Larson. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated. But the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. So, and exactly 15 seconds will be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. You can't imagine how big a foobar, and I know you're saying, well, that uh, Lars, you can't say that on the radio, fouled up beyond all recognition. What a foobar Washington State's capital gains tax has become. First of all, the Democrats say, let's have a capital gains tax, to which the first objection is, well, the state constitution says any kind of income tax has to be uh, has to be uniform by according to the state constitution and uh, they answer back oh well we'll just tell everybody that it's a capital gains tax but it's not an income tax even though the irs and everybody else except the very political washington supreme court says oh no of course a capital gains tax is not an income tax and they just say because we said so and then they overestimate how much money they're going to get from it and they write it into the current state budget and the mistake is a hundred and fifty million dollars and they say well 
okay, we goofed. Now we're going to have to cut $150 million from the state uh, budget because we overestimated. We made a giant boo-boo and put in too much money from the capital gains tax. And now you've got Democrats running around saying, well, if you take away this capital gains tax, as Republicans in Olympia really should, you're going to wreck education. So I thought we'd test that notion with Paul Guppy, who's vice president of research at Washington Policy. Hey, Paul, welcome back to the program. Hi, Lars. It's great to be on. Thanks for inviting me. By the way, if I got any of that wrong, uh, because I just did that off the cuff, uh, tell, feel free to correct me. My audience is used to correction. So is it true that the Democrats are running around claiming that getting rid of the now, I guess, legal capital gains, not an income tax tax in which they, un they misestimated the income from it by $150 million, that if you take that away, it's going to wreck K-12 through education in Washington? Uh, yeah, so you did. You gave an accurate summary. Uh, you're well briefed on the issue, as we say in the in the policy world. So uh, what you describe is exactly correct. And now there is a uh, popular initiative that has been introduced into the legislature, and it would repeal the capital gains income tax. And by the way, the problem with it is not so much that it's a that's a capital gains tax. It's the fact that it's an income tax, which, as you pointed out, goes against our Constitution and, of course, sets up the, the system for an income tax to be applied to the rest of us, not just high-wealth people. And on your question regarding the revenue, that's exactly right. Um, the Senate leader came out and predicted, sort of threatening and scaring the public, that if we don't keep this capital gains income tax in place, oh, my goodness, K-12 education is going to be defunded and early learning programs won't be funded. And our research showed that none of that is true. <laughs> the state has plenty of money, a $3 billion surplus just this year, and we can safely predict that none of these programs are going to be cut. And the state is certainly not short of money simply because the people want to repeal this income tax. So now hold on. $3 billion in surplus, meaning $150 million is 5% of that. These folks are going to have to yeah. tighten their belt by 5%. And they say, why, the sky is falling. We're going to have to cut the most important thing that the legislature funds, which is public education, because they have to tighten their belt by 5%. Yeah, so the, the clever way that they operate in uh, politics and in uh, government budgeting, which would, which if you tried this in the private sector, you would go to jail, okay? The way they talk is if writing a number on a piece of paper for the future is somehow, quote, spending money that you don't want to lose. And that's the part where we were uh, doing fact-checking, truth-telling with what the Senate Majority Leader said. He said, quote, the state is going to lose money, and that's just not true. Uh, they haven't collected this money in the first place. <laughs> and in the second place, as you point out, they $150 million can easily be made up by other revenue. So in both ways, it's just not a true statement. They talk about future budget uh, revenue collections as if they were real today. And collections from this new income tax have barely even started. Uh, the, the mistake they made was in projecting how much they thought they were going to get in future years. Now there's a popular initiative before the legislature right now, which would take that future predicted revenue down to zero. In other words, a tax that we've never had in the past would not go into effect in the future. And that is going to have no impact at all on the state budget. Well, in fact, Paul, one of the things I hope people understand, this tax applies. Do you have a count of the number 
of of taxpayers in Washington State out of what seven and a half million people that this tax actually applied to. It was less. It was it was maybe a couple of dozen people. Is that fair to say? Uh, they, so they estimated. This is Office of Financial Management down in Olympia. They estimated that it would apply to fewer than 720 high wealth individuals. That's skewed, however, because one of those individuals, Jeff Bezos, just moved his residence from Seattle to Miami where there's no income tax. And that took about $610 million that they were expecting to get from Mr. Bezos over the next two years down to zero. Yep. <laughs> so, well, that's uh, who I was going uh, to bring up people. next. Because, Paul, yeah. what's really crazy is I've never been able to persuade Democrats and liberals. If you do something like this, people with money will will avoid the tax. And, and I know there are people who hear of tax avoidance, why that's evil. You mean everybody who drives from southwest Washington into Portland to buy their school clothes for their kids or a refrigerator or a stove and avoid the uh, state in, state uh, prop, uh, sales tax in Washington? They're all doing the same thing Jeff Bezos did. It's just that he did it on a bigger scale. And, and they, they refuse to believe that when you go in with a gigantic tax that only applies to a few hundred people, and those people all have a lot of money, which means most of them could say, yeah, I think I'll move my residence to another state. And it's not a big deal for them because they can do their job from there just as well. And, and, they, and they say, I'm not going to be taxed by this, and they leave. They never expected that to happen. Exactly. But the, the true – so a couple of things. First of all, people with – a lot of money will always, as you point out, do tax avoidance. There's, there's nothing illegal, immoral, or wrong with that. We, we all avoid a tax when we can. That just means that what they do down Olympia to impose new rules on us changes people's behavior naturally. There are incentives. And this, the second thing is that uh, it's not hard for a high-wealth person to move out of the state, but it's not as easy for the rest of us. So the purpose of this income tax is to get it started. And, and then right now it only applies to wealthy people, but what they're trying to do is to break down the public resistance in our state, which we've had for over 100 years, and that is no state income tax. And they have already implemented this tax, and they want to extend it to the rest of us. Uh, and so you know, you know what they're going to do, Paul? They're going to say, well, we thought we'd collect this much when we hit the, just the super rich. So now that, that we didn't get what we wanted, but we've already decided how we were going to spend the money we don't have, they remind me of Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation. He's already spent the money he doesn't even have yet. So they'll say, we're forced to try to extend this to less rich people. Maybe not all the way to the middle, but they'll they'll keep moving the marker down, just like the original income tax for America started out with the super wealthy and with a very small percentage, and it grew to the not so wealthy, and now it basically applies to everybody who works at a job. That's Paul Guppy, who's research president for the Washington Policy Center. Back in a moment, I want to talk about Instagram and subway surfing, and we'll get to your phone calls and emails. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. 
they allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. On demand, wherever and whenever you want it. Get the podcast all day, every day at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your calls. In a moment, I want to talk to you about a case involving a mother and her 15-year-old son who died horribly. And she is blaming not the New York subway system. She's blaming Instagram and TikTok because she says they goaded her son into doing what's called subway surfing. That's where you insanely climb up on top of a subway car and then ride the top of the car. And your friends shoot videos of you and all that. The problem is her son, 15 years old, named Zachary, uh, was standing on top of the subway train. It was the J train as it was heading into, I think, Brooklyn. And he hit an overhead bar that was going across where the subway train goes because nobody's supposed to be standing on top of the subway car. And he was thrown from the top of the subway car, ended up between two subway uh, trains, and ended up dying. Now, I feel for the mother who saw this kind of loss. I mean, she wasn't there, but she she uh, lost her son to this. But she doesn't blame the New York subway system. She blames social media because she says they goaded my son into doing that. I'll get into the details of that in a moment. First, I want to go to Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And by the way, if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our poll on X. Today, the question is whether or not Joe Biden should keep giving away billions of dollars to pay off bad student loans. That is, student loans for which the students no longer want to pay the money back. Uh, he just did another tranche of that this week. $1.2 billion of taxpayer money taken from people, most of whom have never gone to college. And I would say no. He shouldn't do it, but he's doing an election year stunt, and that's pretty pretty plain to me. Ron, what's on your mind today? Well, you know, Lars, I heard you talking earlier about here we go again. I guess uh, Miss Nancy Pelosi is out spreading... Uh, uh, rumors again of uh, corruption with or collusion no. with uh, Russia. <laughs> Russia, 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 and you've got. Uh, she's just sure that somewhere uh, Vladimir Putin is involved in Donald Trump's run for president. Even though we've been to this movie before, haven't Ron? Haven't we, Ron? We know how it ends. Yeah, uh, that's confusing to me uh, because there's a few questions that I would have to ask. Uh, like number one. Uh, if, uh, that, that, I mean, obviously she must know something. So if she knows something, uh, we need to bring in the FBI, the CIA, and everybody involved in the last, uh, in the last go around. They should all be either losing their jobs, being put up for, uh, crimes and or maybe 
uh, losing their positions because I thought we just did this. And if Nancy Pelosi knows something and she's not divulging it, she should be arrested. She's uh, clearly obstructing justice. I agree with you. And, Ron, I don't know if you heard it, but last week I talked about a great piece of reporting. There's this guy, Matt Taibbi. And Matt Taibbi personally is a liberal progressive, but he's a great journalist. And great journalists don't care whose ox gets gored. They just write stories. And what he did was he was able to find out by using sources, and, and he's got, a tremendous amount of credibility, this Matt Taibbi. And what it, what he and I think Glenn Schellenbarger, and there was another journalist involved in this, they found out that before Donald Trump even got the nomination in the summer of 2016, long before the election, the FBI had gone out to figure out a way to spy on Donald Trump's campaign. And if you say, well, how would the FBI do that? They can't do that. Here's what they did. There's an organization, uh, it's an intelligence group of, of five countries. And let's see if I can remember them right offhand. It's called the Five Eyes Group. Kind of sounds like somebody made it up for a movie. But it's the United States, Great Britain, New Zealand, Australia, and now I can't remember the fifth one. Anyway, what these different organizations do, and it does make sense for national security, they say, we will keep an eye on things, and when we learn stuff, you know, say in New Zealand or in Australia or in Great Britain that affects the United States, we'll share that with you, and the U.S. will share stuff back the other direction. The problem is it's become the perfect political spying tool because the FBI and, to some extent, the CIA can say, we're not spying on Donald Trump. We're just listening to the spying done by our friends who are in the same line of work that we are in other countries. It gives them what I think previous presidents have called plausible deniability. They can say, we're not spying. We are listening to the reports brought in by other spies from other countries. Uh, but all of that is out of public view, so nobody knows. And what they did was they decided to go out and, and basically put a tail on 26 different people who are involved in the Trump campaign. And eventually they struck pay dirt uh, with Carter Page, with uh, George Papadopoulos, a number of others, because they were actually looking for information from foreign spying organizations on 26 people within the Trump campaign organization. And they got it. And then they took some of that information, including that crazy steel dossier that Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC put together, the one that was so lunatic, most of the press wouldn't even touch the steel dossier when it was offered to them because they said, that stuff's full of such crazy nonsense that we're not going to believe it unless you bring us some substance. And in the end, they used the steel dossier to get uh, wiretap warrants on Carter Page, which gave them a window into the Trump campaign. They did all this stuff, and at the end of the day, the Steele dossier was found to be just a bunch of hokum made up by a former British secret agent who made a lot of money by putting together this fraudulent dossier. So we should be concerned when people in places like Nancy Pelosi's job say, we're going to go out and we're going to... Uh, we're going to do uh, we're, 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 we're going to investigate this Trump and Russia and Putin, uh, you know, intersection uh, between Putin and, and Trump. It, it worked to, for them to a certain extent, and I think it'll work again. Let me tell you about this story, though, involving a lawsuit, because this is where I get really concerned. I, I feel for the woman who lost her 15 year old son because he decided to pull a stunt by trying to surf on top of a New York subway train. 
But she's saying, and I don't have any great love for TikTok. We do have an Instagram account. We do not have any involvement with TikTok because it's a Chicom spy device. And I won't even have it on the devices that my wife and I use because... I think that it's a way to spy on Americans to benefit the Chinese Communist Party in Beijing. Instagram, different matter, a different animal. But what both of these do, which is interesting, because her argument is not entirely bad. Let's say you're a young man, like the young man who died, Zachary, and you start watching videos. And you see videos of people who are doing this surfing stunt. Understanding how dangerous and how outrageous it is, you think it's fun to watch. So what does TikTok and what does Instagram do? They feed you more of those videos. In other words, they look to try to satisfy whatever your interests are. I go on and I look at do-it-yourself stuff on Instagram. Frankly, I sound like a nerd, but I love the do the DIY stuff. So what does Instagram feed me? More DIY stuff. So. She says that because this immature 15-year-old was watching videos, that Instagram and TikTok kept, kept feeding him more videos. And finally, he saw one called the Subway Surfing Challenge, and he decided to do it. That was about a year ago. And so uh, she's now suing Instagram and TikTok, saying, you goaded my son, or, her son in this case, into pulling this stunt, and he ended up dead as a result. And I don't think her argument is half bad. In any case, glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Snowflakes. Yes, you are probably going to be offended. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. We'll do that in just a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And join me in welcoming Grover Norquist, President of Americans for Tax Reform. How are you, Grover? I'm doing well, Lars. Good to be with you. I want to ask you about this. Uh, you know, the the uh, 87,000 IRS agents, which, if I've been following the budgets uh, closely enough, has now been dropped to 67,000 or some number less than the original number that the Democrats wanted to bring on with the promise that if you bring all these people on and spend a lot of money, that they will bring in gigantic tax collections, far more than we're paying to these IRS agents. How is that working out right now? Well, there's a challenge. The IRS has made all of these promises slash threats before, and they have not been honest in talking to taxpayers about what happened to the money. Uh, at Americans for Tax Reform, we have a little uh, list of all the times over the last 50 years, the IRS said, if you just gave us a few billion for computers, why would we be having all this money come in? Then it turns out that they really can't make their computers work. Uh, and then they come back a few years later asking for twice as much with all the same reasons. And it goes on and on and on again. We recently saw the IRS, the head of it, Werfel, the head guy that uh, Biden put in there, um, you know, explaining away or trying to explain all of their misbehavior, how they've lost people's tax data to 
left-wing guys who come in and scoop it up, maybe with the help of IRS agents. Certainly the IRS didn't stop them from stealing the stuff. Um, and they refused to punish the people who did this. They sent a signal to everybody in the IRS, if you want to steal somebody's tax data and give it to a left-wing group, somebody that Biden hates, no problem, no problem. Uh, the laws will not really apply to you. It is one disaster after another, and this idea where they go, oh, yeah, we're working on it. Uh, it was embarrassing to see Werfel testify before the Ways and Means Committee, the House of Representatives Committee that oversees the IRS. He wouldn't tell the truth. He claimed not to know things he was supposed to. It was very embarrassing. Well, and, and does he have an explanation as to why, as a bureaucratic agency like the IRS, if you catch somebody breaking the rules, not bad enough to go to prison, as they've just had one person go for one conviction out of the 7,800 uh, crimes he committed by stealing data, but why not punish people who are working for an agency that, that, that break the rules? Uh, did he have any kind of explanation for that? Um, no. There is a uh, rule executive order slash law that uh, federal employees are not to have TikTok on their uh, computers, their iPhones, their iPads, because uh, it may be able to be picked up by China. And the IRS uh, has a rule called bring your own device, BYOD, which means you can use your iPhone, your iPad, your personal computer home that you carry that you leave on the subway for someone to pick up um, and have all of the sensitive data on it okay now normally you think for crying out loud all that should be in a computer at the office that nobody can get to but because more than half of the irs guys do not show up for work okay they claim they are working from home uh I don't know how that works with some jobs, receptionists perhaps, um, but they say, oh, we're working at home. And the, your data is on their personal computer, which their kids have access to, anyone in the house has access to. They could show it to anyone, and there's no protection. And we know that IRSs do this. There was a scandal in the 90s. People were looking up the various uh what celebrities? Financial lives of their favorite celebrities, their neighbors, their ex-girlfriends. Um, and so they passed a bunch of laws to say no to that. But how do you police it when people take the data out of the office? How do you know who they're sharing it with? And uh, what did Werfel tell the Congress it? about that? I mean, did he say, well, you know, this is how we address that? He must have had some answer, didn't he? Uh, as the answer is yes, but here's the pathetic answer. Oh, there's no reason to think that your computer data is safer at the office than at home. That's well, that's kind of scary. scary. That, that, because that's yeah. suggesting the average level of computer security in most people's homes is almost nothing. And, and we know that. And we know that professionally run computer systems for business uh, generally have lots of protections, virtual private networks, passwording, all kinds of things to lock out the bad guys. And he's saying the IRS office is just as vulnerable as the computers in people's homes. And he may be right because the inspector general did a little study about the IRS 
and found that there were like 150 different super secret special systems that, that are being protected, 150 different ones. Uh, when the inspector general was going in to look at this, they called and said, how many have you got? We've been asked by Congress to look into this. And the IRS said, we don't know. Uh, could you tell us? <laughs> no, we don't think we can. So then when they realized that they were doing this investigation, they called back later and gave them an estimate number, which was wrong. Turns out the IRS, had, the, that the inspector general had figured out how many sensitive systems they had. There are 153,000, 153,000 employees at the IRS who can look at these special super sensitive things, okay, 153,000. And they don't patrol their use of uh, passwords. They don't patrol when they leave, uh, that they close down the passwords of staff who leave or consultants who leave. This is extremely vulnerable, and he didn't care. He didn't care. And when the, when the inspector general was asking for help, you know, what can you give us so that we can do this? Look up. No, we can't help you. We don't know. Who knows these numbers? Um, even though, even though in a lot of ways, Grover, that's a service to the IRS. If you say, and I know there are private companies that say, come in and show us where the holes are in our system, yes. yep. and then we'll go out and plug them. That would be a positive of the IRS. And they said, no, we don't want to plug the holes. Yep. 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 They don't care about your privacy. But, the, you know, the 1099K where they want to look at everything you get in and out with Venmo or uh, any of these electronic things where you pay bills and so on, they want a, a uh, 1099K statement from Venmo or PayPal saying, you know, $200 went in and out of your account. And then if it went in, they want to claim that that's income you have to pay taxes on unless you can prove it was something else. Good luck keeping track of all that. 30 million documents they think that will be, they can't, and they can't keep track of what they've got now. They want more paper from you, more documents from you that they won't keep safe. They can't be trusted with what they have. Why would you give them anything new? You know, usually when you've talked about this before, Grover, I've thought, well, this doesn't probably affect me. Well, it turns out it does. I pay for my granddaughter's singing and dance lessons. She's almost eight now. And how do I get that money to her mom? I Venmo it, right? I know they're gonna, they're probably gonna send me a form saying, hey, how come all these monies were paid? And well, you know, for singing and dance lessons. Can you prove it? <laughs> well, yeah, like you said, good luck. It's gonna put a lot of people in a really tough spot with the IRS. And I think that's exactly what the Biden administration anticipated. That's Grover Norquist. He is the president of Americans for Tax Reform. And we now have the IRS with an estimate of 50% of its agents working remotely from home. In other words, hey boss, I'm working from home today. Good luck with productivity on that. Back in a moment, we'll get to your calls. I know some of you have waited a long time. It's 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, do you love? I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. 
So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday and live on the Radio Northwest Network that has for 24 years served the Pacific Northwest with honestly provocative talk radio. So we try to make sure we take care of the concerns of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, and we're glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Very quickly, the poll on X, and then I'll get to calls. The poll on X today, formerly Twitter, uh, you'll find it at Lars Larson Show. Joe Biden keeps on canceling out student debt. He's just done another $1.2 billion in student loan debt cancellation, which means $1.2 billion of money from you and me and all the other Americans who work, who make a paycheck, who pay federal taxes, is going to go to pay the loans of people who don't want to pay their loans off on their own. Is this legitimate or an election year stunt? I'm going to vote for election year stunt. You can vote any way you like. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show, and it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Yesterday, we asked you about Michigan's plan to ask residents of the state to house illegal aliens and their families for a minimum of 90 days. It's an ask right now. It may become a tell at some point. Would you take them in? My answer is no. 97% of you voted no as well. Only 3% of you said you would take in the illegal alien family for at least 90 days. And after they've been there 90 days under most landlord-tenant laws, you're going to have a tough time getting them to move out. So let's go to Seattle and talk to Neary, who's listening on the Radio Northwest Network and Talk Radio 570 KVI. Neary, what's on your mind? Hi, yeah, um, in regard to the uh, student loan. Yeah. Um, I was wondering why is it that they asking us who never been in, uh, um, in college. college or anything to, to pay for something that we didn't do? How about I have a, I have a solution, too. What is it? How about is making the uh, universities uh, take it off their cut, basically eat it up because they didn't provide on uh, the services they were supposed to, to educate other people? Well, they did, and, though. Uh, Hold on, Neary. Neary, I'm not a fan of the American university system right now. I think they charge far too much. I think they deliver far too little to students. But having said that, the university, say University of Washington in Seattle or U of O in Eugene, 
And they say, but we did educate this kid. The kid went to four years of classes, got reasonably good grades, got a diploma. We delivered. Why should we pay his debt? The debt is owed and guaranteed by the federal government. That's your problem now. What would you say to UW or U of O if they said, we did deliver? We, we delivered the education that this kid signed up for. Well, you deliver something that is not applicable because right now, all of those guys cannot return your, uh, um, they cannot return your uh, pay because, one, you charge way too much. Yeah, but that's secondly, an opinion. That's an, hold on, but that's no, an opinion. That's Neri, an opinion. some, no, some nitwit kid goes off to U of O. Hold on, Neri. Neri, some kid goes off to U of O and says, I want to study transgender studies, and I want to know all about transgenderism. And they get a four-year degree from the U of O. And then they go out and say, I want to take my transgenderism degree or my women's studies degree or ethnic studies degree. I want to find a job. And they find out nobody's interested in hiring them. Is that U of O or UW's problem? Yes, because they push higher education as a key for success in, uh, in uh, the and real you believe world. them? Never. Neri, you I'm believe sorry? them. Why did you believe them? Why did I believe them? Because you yeah. never put an alternative view into it. So every every stupid you piece of advice you get from somebody you believe. There's never a balance of It's like there is a trade school and there is an academia. And, the, and they're going to say, but this young man or woman d decided not to go to trade school and went to the UW instead and got their gender studies degree. And they say, that's not our decision. That was his or her decision. And by the way, we're talking about adults who they may be 18 or 19. They may be completely immature. That's not the point. They're adults. They chose to go to UW. They chose a major in gender studies. They got a degree in gender studies. And then they found out nobody wants to hire somebody with a degree in gender studies. Why is that UW's okay. problem? Okay, so here we go. So you're saying that... We chose a gender study. What about a kid that Not is a kid, a, an adult. convincing them to take a surgery or something that they're not supposed to have, right? Yep. So it's, it's, those, it's those guys that they're advising, the, the advisors that academia and the education has that's steering people into the wrong direction. I, I, hear, I hear the complaints you're making, but Neri... Do, you know, it's still the 18 or 19 year old man or woman, not a child, a man or a woman who made the decision to pursue that ludicrous degree. And they could have picked up their smartphone and done a search and said, is there a huge job market and big paychecks for people with gender studies degrees like the ones that UW and U of O may offer up? And you say, no, no, you're going to be pouring coffee, young man. And at that point, you say, I'm sure glad I didn't listen to that advice from a government-paid counselor in high school or college. Back in a moment. You know. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. 
Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.